by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, there's a story in 2 Kings. There's four lepers outside the gates of a city called Samaria. At the time, Samaria was the capital of Israel. And uh, these four lepers, of course, they're quarantined. They're sheltered in place. They can't go in the city because they have this infectious skin disease. So they're stuck outside the gate. But they really don't care that much because, you see, on the inside of the gate in the city, everybody's starving to death. They're in there eating bird poop, I'm telling you. It was bad because the, uh, the Armenian army had surrounded the gates of Samaria. The enemies of God's people were there to destroy them, and they were waiting them out. They maybe couldn't get over the wall, but they could starve them to death. And so the, the Armenian army is out there, and these four lepers are looking at each other saying, hmm, well, it won't do no good to go inside even if we could get in there. We'd starve to death in there. If we sit here, we'll starve to death. Why don't we see if God will bless us if we go to the Armenian camp and see if they would have mercy and grace on us. And so they just took a chance. They got up, probably fully expecting to die, <laughs> and went to the enemy's camp. Now, how many of you know if you're a leper and you're going to the enemy's camp, there's a good chance you might die? But they walked up on the camp, and they're, yoo-hoo, uh, anybody there? And they get there, and there's nobody in sight. The tents are all there. The horses, the donkeys, all the food is there. The, the drink is there. There's gold and silver laying around people's personal belongings. They begin to eat all this food and stuff all this gold in their pockets, and they're gathering all this stuff up. You see, God knew that they were coming, and he sent the noise of many chariots coming, and it it made these enemies of God afraid. Just the sound that God made. And they got up and they got out of there. They took off running, I'm telling you. I guess, I think it says that God made the sound of like the, the Egyptian army. Their chariots were coming. And these big old strong warriors got afraid and they headed out of there. And now these lepers have everything that their heart could desire. And in 2 Kings 7 verse 9 it says finally they said to each other this is not right this is a day of good news somebody say good news this is a day of good news and we aren't sharing it with anyone hello church this is a day of good news and we aren't sharing it with anyone if we wait till morning, some calamity will certainly fall on us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. These four lepers decided to share their salvation. Isn't that awesome? Who are you in this story? I was thinking about that. Are you God's people, but you're just waiting behind the wall, starving to death? 
or you've made yourself an enemy of God. Are you a beggar who's found God's grace and decided to share it? Today's message is entitled, How Grace Works. You know what grace is, right? It's God's unmerited favor. It's, it's something that somebody gives you that you certainly do not deserve. And you didn't do anything to earn it. If you earned it, then it wouldn't be grace. Grace is just something you have to receive. Sometimes it's humbling. In Acts chapter 4, verse 33, it says, With great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now we're up into Jesus' day. And his apostles gave witness to the resurrection. They had good news and they told people about Jesus. And then it says, and great grace was upon them all. Do you just want some grace or would you like some great grace? Because see, there's something about grace. You can receive grace, but when you begin to give grace away, it becomes great grace coming back to you. Amen? There's a movie called Walk the Line, and it's a story about Johnny Cash and how he grew up and his things that happened to him in his life. He had a rough childhood. When he was a young boy, him and his older brother were best friends, his brother Jack, and his brother Jack died in a tragic death on a, like a circular saw that he was working. It wasn't good, and he witnessed that and saw his brother die. And on top of that, his dad was very harsh with him. He didn't appreciate Johnny's gift for music. He told him he was a sissy because he sang songs. He needs to get a real job. He was harsh. And on the day that Jack died, his dad told him, it should have been you. You know, there's things in this life that will create scars in your heart. Scars in your life, things that are hard to deal with, things that you will have to deal with maybe for the rest of your life, things that maybe you didn't deserve, things that happened to you. Well, Johnny couldn't wait to get out of that house, and when he was a young man, he signed up for the Air Force and went off. But his gift of music kept coming back to him. And before long, Johnny Cash, as you know him, is famous. His gift has made room for him. He's singing hit songs and but the thing about it is, is those scars are still there. And just like many people, he turns to alcohol, he turns to drugs, he begins to womanize, things like that. He begins to make some bad decisions of his own. At first it was things that happened to him, but now he's making bad decisions. Trying to find some kind of way to, to cover them scars, to, to ease the hurt and the pain that he's feeling. Well... These things begin to destroy his life, and before you know it, his career is bottomed out, and he's lost just about everyone he loved in his life. And he's trying with all the strength that he has as a human being to turn things around. He buys this new house, and he invites his mom and his dad to come to a Thanksgiving dinner. He also invites this girl that he's sweet on named June Carter and her family to come. And they all come, and they're eating this meal in Johnny Cash's new home. Johnny's still struggling with the pills. He's a little bit high at the time. And he says, Daddy, 
how you like the new house? And his daddy can tell he's struggling still on drugs. And he says, Jack Benny's got a bigger house. Shoots him down about the house. Then he begins to get on him about his drug use. Johnny's sitting there at the table like a little boy. He's a grown man now, but he's still like a little boy in the presence of his dad. And all these things are welling up on the inside of him. And he can't help it, but he says, you remember when Jack died? And then his dad began to really get upset. Words begin to fly. His dad begins to say, what do you got here? Nothing. You got a big old house. You got nobody, nobody to share it with. You got nothing. You got a nice tractor out there stuck in the mud. You got nothing. And his dad and the memories from the past are still flooding into Johnny's life. Taking up, uh, piling on. And Johnny gets up from that table like a little boy. He walks off and he goes down the hill and starts trying to get that tractor out of the mud. Still trying to prove something to daddy. About that time, everybody gets up and goes get their, getting in their car. It wasn't much Thanksgiving going on that Thanksgiving. Johnny's mom and dad leave, and June's about to get in the truck with her mom and dad, and I'll never forget what her mom says. She looked down the hill at Johnny Cash down there driving, trying to get that tractor out of the mud. Saw him down there cussing and throwing a fit. And she looked at June, and I'll never forget the words she said. She said, he's messed up. And June says, I can't go down there, Mama. And her mother says, June, you're already down there. So June took off down the hill, tried to help her friend Johnny. He finally gets the tractor unstuck just before she gets there, but it rolls downhill into the pond. The tractor goes underwater. Johnny goes underwater with it. He's drowning. I don't think he's caring much. And June jumps in the water to save Johnny. She drags him to the bank. and He just clings to that muddy bank, his face in the mud. He says, you should have left me. Maybe you saw yourself in this story somewhere. Which one of us don't have things that happened to us growing up that left scars? For that matter, which one of us doesn't have things that, ha that we, decisions that we have made that have made things worse in our life? I don't know where you are. Maybe you feel like your face is in the mud today and you're just thinking, she just should have let me drown. We're all messed up. You may be sitting there saying, I'm not messed up. You haven't done enough self-reflection. None of us are walking in the fullness of God's grace. None of us are realizing the life that God wants to give us. The heights to which he wants to take us. We're all messed up. I'm messed up. You're saying you're messed up, pastor? Yeah, I'm messed up. I'm so messed up that I became a pastor to help other people who were messed up. 
the quicker we get honest with ourselves, the quicker we'll grow in some empathy for other people. Turn to Luke 18, verse 9. You don't mind if we get honest today, do you? Luke 18, verse 9. It says, Then Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. He was telling it to the pretenders. Because guess what? None of us have all this self-righteousness. None of us have a right to scorn anybody else. He said two men went to the temple to pray and one was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. In other words, one was this religious man and one was this lowly tax collector says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Boy, that was rude. He said, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, oh, God. Be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I messed up. Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you this. The sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, in reality... Neither the Pharisee nor the tax collector had enough righteousness to fill a thimble. And neither do you and neither do I, my friend. Our righteousness lifts no higher than the ceiling wherever we're at. It, in a scale to, from here to heaven. And for some reason, human nature is to make ourselves better than someone else. That's our desire in life. I want to be seen as better. I want to see, I want to die with the most toys, whatever it is. But I've got a question, and it's a serious question. I want you to answer it for me. If someone is less fortunate than you, maybe they don't have the gifts and abilities you have. Maybe they don't have the money that you came from. Maybe they don't have the they weren't raised in the kind of home that you I don't know. But if someone is less fortunate than you, does that make them less important to God? Can you answer that question? I would say possibly the things that somebody else that you're looking down on has been through might have broke you a long time ago. And you wouldn't be even doing as good as they are. You don't know what someone else has been through. The Apostle Paul said it best. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. If it weren't for God's grace, where would I be? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. I have, it says, what were you, what do you have that you weren't given? Why are you boasting about you're better than someone else when everything you have is a gift from God? I am what I am 
by the grace of God. Have you ever noticed it's easier to receive grace than it is to give? We all think, well, I, I deserve some grace. <laughs> give me some grace. God, we pray for grace. It's especially hard to give it when we make ourselves the judge of who we think deserves it. Do I need to say that again? Well, I'll give this guy $5 because he doesn't look like this other guy. I'm not giving him anything. Look at him. And we make ourselves the judge of who should receive God's grace. 1 Timothy 5.24 says, Remember, the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sins will not be revealed till later. What does that mean? Well, some people's sins are obvious. They can't hide it. They're addicted to drugs. Everybody knows. He's a drug addict. He can't help it. Well, he maybe can help it, but he, he's in the midst of it. We see the results in their life. That it leads them to a certain judgment. The judgment is already there in their life, but it says that there are others whose sins will not be revealed till later. Oh, you may be watching porn in your room every night, but because you think nobody else knows, you're not as bad as the guy who's struggling with drugs. You know, I teach down at the jail every Sunday afternoon. Of course, we're not doing it right now until this pandemic is over. They've been doing it for years. I suppose there could be a temptation to go down there and say, well, I'm a pastor. I'm a man of God. These guys are in yellow jumpsuits. They've done wrong. I'm morally superior than them. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding to me? The only difference in them and where I used to be at one point in my life is they got caught and I didn't. That's the only difference. Johnny Cash is laying there with his face in the mud. June, her family stay. They get him up to the house. They let him sleep it off. They throw his pills away. They throw all, out all the booze out of the house. Drug man comes trying to sell Johnny some more drugs. And uh, June's daddy got a shotgun, run him off. I love that part. They were there to help Johnny. And for days, Johnny sleeps it off and helps Johnny detox. Johnny has been through so much, and he's... He's just wore out at this point. He just needs to sleep it off, and for days he sleeps. And I'm going to show you a video clip, and I really I struggled with whether I should show this or not. I could just tell it. The audio was so low on it, and I even had to put subtitles, and I've asked Rick to really crank up the sound, so I don't know if you'll be able to hear it good on the other end of a live stream or not. But the more I watched it, I said, I've got to show this. It's just powerful. It's when Johnny wakes up and June is at his bedside and she's been there the entire time as Johnny's been struggling. Hey. 
Mom and I picked these up down the road. They're good. It's good to see you again. Can I get you something else? Just You are not nothing. You're a good man. And God has given you a second chance to make things right, John. This is your chance, honey. This is your chance. Powerful clip. A broken man still believing the lies his daddy told him. But somebody's showing him grace. Maybe you're struggling right now. Maybe you still believe in the lies. Maybe you're looking for love in all the wrong places. But God would say to you, you're not nothing. You are not nothing. And I want to give you a second chance. You may be saying to yourself, I've used up my second chance a long time ago. Well, God is the God of another chance. And his grace is chasing you down today. You are not nothing. I know I use double negatives all the time, so I get confused when, when I hear two negatives together. But that's correct grammar. You are not nothing. 
you are something. You're something to your God. And he's here to give you another chance. If you've never accepted Jesus, he's the love that you've been looking for, would you pray with me? Would you just reach out and say, Jesus, I feel like nothing. I feel like I've messed up. I've, I feel like my life is not counting. I'm sorry for my sins. I want to turn from them. Will you help me? Will you come into my life and lead me? Show me the gifts and talents that you've given me. Show me how to receive your grace and show me how to show it to others. I make you the Lord of my life. Save me. Save me. If you've just prayed that, say, Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Seal it with the name that is above every other name. Receive. You're another chance. You are not nothing. You are something. Romans 5.20 says, Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Where sin stains and makes ugly, the blood of Jesus cleanses and washes away. It does much more abound the grace of God. Why don't you receive a fresh start? Why don't you begin to believe what your heavenly Father says about you? There's something about grace that should spark humility, not some sense of self-righteousness. So many people have received God's grace, but then begin immediately to think that they're somehow better than people who have not had that opportunity who have not yet received God's grace. And they become self-righteous. And self-righteous folks make a mockery of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me spoon you a little humility, if you don't mind, from the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27 says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh... Not many mighty and not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame those which are mighty. <laughs> so you think I'm saved and I'm better than somebody it's probably not because you're wise, mighty, or noble. It's probably because you were foolish and weak. And the difference between you and everybody else that doesn't know God's grace is simply that grace. That's not the kind of church I want to belong to. The United States church is full of theologians. They can quote more scriptures than a pastor. But 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 says, But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. The King James says, Knowledge puffeth up, but love edifies, brings together. And I believe here at the Passion Church, we're on the verge of becoming that kind of church. There's a banner on our wall here. It says we're a warm, fun-loving church. 
eager to reach out with God's love to all who have lost their way. Then it says two words, everyone matters. Because we're a hospital of hope and we're a fire igniting the passionate pursuit of true purpose in people's life. God has a true purpose for every living soul on this planet. And God wants a church that will love everyone, will will bring them into the hospital and help them get well and then put them out and show them that their life can count. Let us be a church where great grace is upon us all because great grace is working through us all. That is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. After Johnny woke up in that scene, June took him to church. He's hesitant to go in. Why would he be hesitant? Thank goodness he must have found a good church where they opened him with welcome arms, with open arms. Later, Johnny Cash goes on to do uh, these stadium, what do they call it, things with Billy Graham. Uh, uh, Crusades, thank you. I'm glad there's somebody in here speaking back to me today. He went to these crusades, probably saw thousands upon thousands of people saved. Am I saying Johnny Cash didn't struggle with drugs or alcohol later? I don't know. Possibly he did, but at least he realized some portion of the potential that God has for his life because of God's grace. I'm not making excuse for sin. I'm not saying that we're all just going to barely get along and that we should all just give each other a pass on sin. I'm not saying that. Once you give give Jesus your heart, he sends his spirit into your heart, and that spirit is now your power to overcome sin. There's really no excuse for it after you get saved. But I'm saying there's still got to be grace. There's still got to be room for baby Christians to grow, to to go through the sanctification process. All people get their importance from the same place. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It's from God's love. Ephesians 1, 6 says, you are accepted in the beloved. Why don't you let God's grace begin to work in your heart? So we've told some stories today. Where are you in these stories? Just sitting in the city, starving to death? Or have you made yourself an enemy of God? Are you the blessed beggar willing to share the good news? Are you the Pharisee pretending to be perfect? Are you the tax collector beating his chest in sorrow? You the lost Johnny? Are you the found Johnny? I hope we're all like June Carter, bringing all the Johnnies to church. How does God's grace work? God's grace works best when it's shared. Father, I just pray over your people right now. Wherever they're at, whatever power they need for their life, whether they need finances, whether they need healing, deliverance, whether they need salvation, whatever they lift their hands and and whisper to you right now, I pray the power is there that your grace is evident in Jesus' name. Amen.
listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Thank you.